If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 19, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 19 this evening. We've been studying through the book of 1 Samuel, we've been in here for quite some time, and uh, we're introduced to a couple of main people in 1 Samuel. One is King Saul. Saul is the, is the reigning king over Israel. We also have seen a young man by the name of David who's growing up. David was the one who slayed Goliath a couple of weeks back. And we've seen as, through our study last week in, in chapter 18, well, they're not on the best of terms. They're not getting along real well. King Saul has a problem with David. And David doesn't necessarily have a problem with Saul, but Saul has a problem with David. Do you remember what the problem is? He's getting all the credit. Remember, the, the women were coming out and they were singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. So David is becoming a mighty warrior. David had slain Goliath. And now as they do battle with the Philistines, David is being well known as winning the battles. Saul has a problem with that. Saul's, can we just say that he's jealous of David? He's just simply jealous. He doesn't like that David's getting the attention. But what he fails to realize is, as a result, he looks good. I mean, David is the one fighting for Saul. David has never turned against Saul. He has not come against Saul. But in the last chapter, we saw that Saul was so jealous, was so prideful, he decided that he wanted to get rid of David. And he tried to do it surreptitiously. He tried to get rid of him secretly. He tried to, remember he tried to set him up? First he said, I'll, I'll demote him, I'll send him out to do battle with the Philistines, and certainly he'll die. And then he also said, uh, maybe he, remember he promised him his, his daughter? And then at the last minute, he, he reneged on the promise and gave his daughter to somebody else. Then again, he promised his daughter, Mikkel, but he wanted a dowry or, or a payment for the marriage. And what did he say he wanted? Basically, a hundred Philistines killed, and David had to go out. And when, he, when David, he, his, Saul thought, listen, when I send David out to kill a hundred Philistines, certainly they're going to kill him. But David was successful. He killed 200 Philistines, and he fulfilled the dowry that was required upon him. Not just simply fulfilled it, but he doubled it. And he also, Saul himself, tried to kill David twice, remember? He, David, the, 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 uh, uh, a spirit came upon Saul, and David was playing his harp, and Saul got angry, and he threw the javelin, or threw the spirit, David had stuck in the wall, and David slipped away. Try, twice that happened. Well, you can see the heart for Saul. It's, it's becoming pretty obvious right now. And you can see the heart of David, because we talked last week, if someone threw a spear at you, don't you think you'd pick it up and throw it back? I think a lot of us would, but David had the attitude, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to hurt Saul, because David knew something. He knew that he was going to be the next king of Israel, because Samuel, the prophet, had already anointed him. But David basically took the attitude, and I summed it up this way, God, you're going to have to be the one that removes Saul from office. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you do that work, and he simply slipped away. And we all would have bought the theory of self-defense, right? He threw a spear at me twice. I just picked it up and threw it back. I was defending myself. Now, is there any doubt that David could have probably killed Saul at that point? I don't think there's any doubt at all. David's the one that's winning all the battles. He's the one that's slaying the Philistines. But Saul's really upset now. He's tried to kill David more than one occasion on his own. He's tried to kill David by setting him up. And now look what it turns to in chapter 19, verse 1. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Because Saul couldn't kill David, Saul told Jonathan, his son, and also told all of the servants, all the people around Saul, what was his command? Go kill David. I want David dead. Bring me his head. I want David wiped out. I want him killed. Why, Saul? That doesn't seem very nice. He's your, he's your best warrior right now. 
But the heart of Saul is now clearly visible when he couldn't do it surreptitiously, when he couldn't do it by setting him up. Now he's giving the order as king, and he's giving it to his servants, who, by the way, like David. We're told in the previous chapter, David, everybody liked David. What wasn't to like with him? And we also were told previously that Jonathan had a special relationship with David, that their hearts had been knit together as David, as Saul questioned David after he defeated Goliath. And I believe I told you that, that as David poured out his reasons for his success, his success came from the Lord and it knitted his heart together with, with Jonathan. And they were friends, of really close friends. And now here in the beginning of chapter 19, King Saul says to Jonathan, his son, and to his servants, I want him dead. That presents a problem, doesn't it? Jonathan and David were friends. The servants and David liked Jonathan, liked, liked David. They, they, he, was, he was friends with everybody. But before we get to what happens, I want to just remind us of something. Do you see how the murder of David has been brewing in Saul's heart for some time? When we look at the New Testament, Remember the verse in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. And Jesus says, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And he went on to talk about adultery. And he said, if you've looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart, even though you haven't done the physical act. When we come across those sections of Scripture in the New Testament, we kind of get stumped. We're like, well, wow, everybody has minds that go places. Everybody thinks things. I didn't think I was found guilty until I actually did something. Where would you say Saul is guilty of murder here? Would you say it was in his mind where he started planning it? I would say so. But if you could go beyond that and say not only is it in his mind, it could be in the fact when he threw the javelins, right? He's got an attempted murder. He's tried to surreptitiously have David killed by setting him up. And now he's given the order to have him murdered. You see, the idea is, and the, and the thought here is, it's, it's brewing in Saul's heart. It's getting worse, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. And now he's giving the order to everybody around him that says, I want David killed. And that leaves Jonathan with the big problem. What do I do? What would you do? Your dad, the king, you're the next, you're the next prince, but you know David is in line for the kingdom. You know he's going to be next because we saw that Jonathan gave him his robe last week. What do you do in a difficult situation when somebody is attacking your friend, and the person that's attacking your friend is your family, specifically your father. Well, wait a minute, Jonathan. Isn't there a Bible verse about that? Aren't we supposed to honor our father and mother? What does Jonathan do? Wait a minute. There's another Bible verse right after that one that says you shall not murder. But what is Jonathan supposed to do in this situation? His dad has given him the order to murder. And I want to say something. Jonathan does what a really good friend would do in this situation. Jonathan's going to do some things. Saul gives the order. The very next thing that Jonathan does is he tells David about the order. Let's keep reading. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all the servants that they should kill David. Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David, their friendship. In verse 2, so Jonathan told David, saying, my father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. Jonathan goes around the authority of his father and he tells his friend David what his father is planning. And he lets him know, listen, this is serious. 
Some people would have a problem with this. Some people would say, wait a minute, he should be more loyal to his father than to his friend. There's a biblical, they would say there's a biblical establishment for a child to be under the, under, underneath of a parent, for citizens to be underneath government, wives to be underneath husbands. There's this biblical establishment. Uh, Jonathan should be underneath Saul. No, that's not the case. Why, why does Jonathan not have an obligation to fulfill this order from Saul? Why would he, not, why would he be able to say, no, I'm not going to do that? Because Saul's ordering him to sin. Saul's giving him a command to sin. Nothing excuses us from sin because we obey the authority of someone who told us to do it. You see, we obey the things the government lays out for us too. We obey the laws right up until the point where it will cause us to disobey God. We obey the things that our parents would say as, as, as children up until the point where it would cause us to disobey God. We would obey the things that our boss would say right up until the point where it would cause you to sin. And the problem, the line that Saul was crossing here was he was asking Jonathan to sin by committing David's murder. Jonathan, being the friend that he is, being the loyal friend that he is, he goes and he tells David about it. He says, listen, you better hide. My dad's coming after you. He's mad. He's going to kill you if you don't worry about it. You better go find a secret place and hide. But he doesn't just let it stand there doesn't just let it stop you see he he could have just not said another word about it he could have just warned David he could have done the tip off thing hey I'm going to give you a tip you don't know where you heard it from just go act on the tip and he takes off and he doesn't say another word silence nothing just not another word but that's not what Jonathan does look what he tells David in verse three he says I will go out and I'll stand beside my father in the field where you're at I'll speak with my father about you Then what I observe, I will tell you. He says, David, I'm going to go talk to dad. I'm going to go see what the king says. I'm going to, you be hiding and you stay in hiding. And let me find out what's really going on. Let me try to deal with this situation. Jonathan's putting a lot on the line, isn't he? He's putting his relationship with his father on the line. What could dad do? Dad could kill him too, right? He's the king. He can do, he can, at this point in this culture, the king can do whatever he wants. But Jonathan says, David, go hide out. Go hang out. Just see what, let me talk to my dad. And let me see what happens. And he does. Verse 4. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. And he said to him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David. Because he has not sinned against you. And because his works have been very good to you. For he took his life in his hands and he killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? Did you see what Jonathan did? As a friend, as a loyal friend, he has the courage to go see his father. But he lays out an argument for why Saul shouldn't kill David. He says, why are you after David? He's on your side. He had the bravery. He he went and killed the Philistines. He reminds Saul twice, both in verse 4, let not the king sin against his servant against David because he has not sinned against you. And he also reminds him in verse 5, why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? Twice he reminds King Saul or his father He hasn't done anything to deserve death. He hasn't sinned against you, and you have no cause on what you're doing. Now look how Saul responds. 
Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Did you catch it? Saul heeded the voice. Saul, he, that means he yielded to the voice. He said, Jonathan, you're right. And he gives an order by the Lord. As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Now, that's a bit of a prophetic statement from Saul's point. Because if you know the rest of the story, Saul's going to spend the rest of his life trying to kill David. What he doesn't say is, I won't try to kill David anymore. But what he says is, David shall not be killed. And that's a very true statement. That's a very true statement because David shall not be killed. But I see this when I read. Some people think that Saul lied about this. Some people think it was all a setup. Some commentators suggest Saul's just saying this. He knows Jonathan and David are friends and he figures Jonathan's tipping David off and I'll just tell him we're going to be okay and then Jonathan will bring him around and then I can just wipe him out. Make it easy. We'll just use Jonathan for bait. Some people think that. But I don't really see that. When it says, when it says Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, I think there's a true repentance there. I think there's a picture where Saul goes, you know what? You're right. He hasn't done anything to me. As, as, he's, as he's faced or he's confronted with this argument, Jonathan lays it out and says, Dad, he fought Goliath. Dad, there was a great thing of the Philistines. You rejoiced. We're victorious. We're winning. Why are, why are you going to kill him? He's doing nothing but good for the kingdom. And Saul says, yeah, you're right. As the Lord lives, David will not die. And look what happens. Verse 7, Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. You see, the relationship was somewhat reconciled there. He, Jonathan goes and he tells David, hey, listen, I talked to my dad. My dad agrees with everything. Let's leave it alone. Come on back into the palace. Let's hang out. And it is just like in times past past the relationship has been restored the relationship has been renewed at this moment in time it's a glorious thing it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing this at this point if this chapter were to end right here it'd be great it'd be wonderful it'd be fantastic their relationship is back together it's just like old times it's just like we were david's playing the harp saul's relaxing they're hanging out in the palace together it's just like it's just like it should be but then i want you to look at verse eight and i want you to underline the first few words there and there was war again. And there was war again. And there was war again. How long will the life of peace last? Only till there's war again. They're at peace right now with Jonathan and David and Saul, right? Everything's good. We made up. Everything's good. We're hanging out together. But then, then there was war again. There's war again. And it's referring to physical war here. It's talking about war against the Philistines. But I think we're going to see tonight it's also talking about a spiritual war. We're going to see the spiritual war that's raging behind the scenes as the physical war rages as well. There was war again. There's a physical war. There's a spiritual war that's taking place. And there was war again. Isn't that true of your life? Don't you go through seasons where it's just like it's peaceful. Everything seems to be okay. Everything seems to be good. And maybe relationships are rekindled. Maybe relationships are, 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 are brought back together maybe maybe that's happening and it's just it's peaceful well i hate to be the bearer of bad news but war is coming there will be a spiritual war waging on the front real soon it's just it's just the way that it goes right now you get to live if, if this is you you get to live in a time of peace and right now david and saul and they're 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 peaceful but then there's war again there's war again look what happens there's war again david went out and he fought with the philistines and he struck them with a mighty blow 
and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Did you catch it? There's war again. David goes out. David's victorious. You think Saul would be rejoicing, but what did that bring back? That brought back Saul's insecurity. That brought back Saul's jealousy. That brought back Saul's pride. David's victorious, and Saul doesn't see himself that way. There's war again. Then what happens next? There's the, 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 the spirit comes along. The stressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house. He's got a spear in his hand. David's playing music, and Saul's playing with his spear. The distressing spirit comes along. David's playing music. What happens next? Saul takes the spear. His jealousy's raging. David's over there playing calmly, looks across the room, and lets it fly. Now, we're going to spend a little time there because I think there's a lesson for us to learn in that. I want to share something with you. Saul didn't just throw that spear by accident. There was a whole bunch of little things that happened to leading up to him breaking his covenant. Remember what he said? As the Lord lives, David will not be killed. As the Lord lives, he swore by the Lord, God, this this man is not going to die. Yet just a short time later, who's trying to kill him? Saul is. But I want to share some things with you because it's really, really important that we understand this. Temptation came upon Saul. A spiritual battle came upon Saul. And Saul put him in the place to put himself in the place to sin. That's why the spear was thrown. Now let me explain it to you a little clearer. The temptation that came upon Saul was after the victory of the battle. What's his temptation? Jealousy. He's jealous of David. He's feeling inferior to David. People are praising David because again, David had victory. So this temptation comes upon Saul, and do you know what? He wasn't prepared to handle the temptation. He wasn't prepared to handle the temptation. The temptation comes, and the next thing that happens to Saul is we see the spirit, come, distressing spirit from the Lord comes upon Saul. It's another way of saying there's a spiritual attack happening on Saul. There's a temptation. Here comes a spiritual attack. And the third thing that Saul's mistake was, he put himself right in the place to sin. He put himself right there. How did he do that, Rob? What was he having in his hand? What was he holding? Why did he need a spear? He was in his palace. David was playing his harp and Saul is holding what? A spear. So therefore, when the temptation comes, the spiritual attack comes, he's made the mistake of putting himself in a place to sin easily. What happens? He falls. He sins. He throws the spear at David. Could you stand up under those circumstances? I don't know that I could. But I want to share a little bit. How could he have overcome those circumstances? You see, I said something important. He has to be prepared to handle the temptation, and he wasn't. If we have this same thing happen in our life, if the temptation comes, the spiritual attack comes, and you're sitting real, real close to sin, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall. You're going to sin just like Saul did. But he has to be prepared to handle the temptation. He has to be prepared to handle the spiritual attack. And he has to have enough sense to keep himself away from the opportunity to sin. If it's close by, he's probably going to do it when the temptation and the attack all come. We can learn from this. 
Well, Rob, how do I, how do I prepare to handle the temptation? That's the question that we have to learn because if we want to learn from Saul's mistake here, we see that he reconciled himself with David. And I believe it was an honest reconciliation. We see that they went to war together. David came back victorious. But, Saul, but, but it, what crept into Saul? Where did it start? In his mind, didn't it? He started thinking. He started looking around. What was Saul's problem? Remember from a couple chapters ago, he was worried about what the people said. And the people were saying, praise David. Thank you, David. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. If you're not prepared when the temptation comes in your life, it's only going to move you one step closer to sinning. If you're not prepared to handle the temptation, it's not going to help. You're going to be closer to sinning. How do I get prepared? That's the question. Listen, it starts in the mind. Romans chapter 12 tells us we have to renew our mind. We have to set our mind on things above. Who, let me ask you this. Who controls what you think about? You do. You do. Don't blame it on Satan. You're the one that decides where your mind goes, aren't you? You can set your mind anywhere you want. Doesn't mean you won't, your mind won't be tempted to go someplace. But who's the one that decides how long you're going to spend there? You do. Who's the one that says, I'm not going to think about that? You and I have the control over our mind. We control that. That's where the temptation comes about. I can say, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to let that cross my mind. That's it, it. I'm done. Or I can embrace that thought. I can think about that thought. You know, I can, I, well, I'm going to have my own little pity party, and I'm going I'm to start justifying that thought. And I'm going to start thinking, well, there's a reason for that thought, and, and I deserve to have that thought, and there, maybe God doesn't like me anymore, and that's why I'm having that thought, and maybe this, and maybe that. But the temptation is coming. It's, it's coming in the mind. Here's the key. You have to recognize the temptation when it comes. You have to recognize the thoughts when they come. Now, in Saul's case, it was a jealous thought. It was a prideful thought. What is it in your case? What is it in your mind that sets your mind into a tailspin that's going to just drag you down all day long? What is it that you can't get out of your mind? What is it that, you're, that you want, that you think about? What sin is it in your life that you say, oh, I just wish, I, I'm thinking about it, I want to, I, think, I wish I could, I, I just, maybe, maybe I can, I can sneak away, and you start planning it, and you start considering it, and start thinking about it, that's the temptation. You have to combat that. If you're not ready for that temptation, you know what's going to happen next? Just like in Saul's case, there's a spiritual attack that comes. There's a spiritual attack. Now here's what you need to understand about a spiritual attack. The other person is not the enemy. David and Saul were not the enemies of... Saul saw David as the enemy. With the spiritual attack in your life, you have to recognize Satan as the enemy. That's important because you need to know something. Your boss is not the enemy. Your friend that you're fighting with is not the enemy. Your spouse, your husband, or your wife, they're not the enemy. What does Ephesians tell us? We don't struggle against flesh and blood. That's us. That's bodies. Humans. We struggle. Let me read it to you because I think it's important. Ephesians chapter 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The battle that you're fighting is not against the person in your life. So you think that the battle is against your boss, against your husband, against your wife, against your son, your daughter. The you think they're the problem. Not the problem. It's a spiritual battle you're fighting. As long as you keep thinking they're the problem, you have no hope of winning the battle. Because you have to realize it's a spiritual battle. Well, how do I fight the spiritual battle? 
I don't have time to cover it tonight, but the armor of God. Keep reading it. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the Bible, the word of God. That's how I combat those things. I have to be prepared to be attacked spiritually. If I'm unprepared, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to get bowled over. I'm not going to recognize the attack. David wasn't Saul's enemy, but Saul thought David was his enemy. Saul's enemy was himself and Satan. Those are the enemies that he was fighting. In order to overcome the attack spiritually, I need to go to the scriptures. I need to be reminded. I need to put on the armor of God. Remember, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I have to remind myself of those Bible verses. Do you have Bible verses on your phone, on your, in your kitchen, in your bathroom? Do you have them put up that you, that's your sword, that's what you do battle with. When Satan comes to tempt you to say, hey, I want, let's think about this. No, I'm going to set my mind on things above, those things that are peaceable, those things that are pure, those things that are holy. Do, do, do they, that, that's your weapons against him. If you don't have it handy, guess what? You're not going to find it. You're not going to be able to turn to the scripture in the middle of a spiritual attack. Go, Where's that Bible verse that he was talking about in Ephesians? Ephesians what? It's only six chapters. It's got to be in here somewhere. You're not going to find it. But if you have Ephesians 6 written out, and you know what the armor of God is, and you've studied it, and the word of God's hidden in your heart, and you know it, when that spiritual attack comes, you can throw it right back in it. You don't have to worry about it. But Saul's in this bad place. The temptation comes. He's not prepared. The spiritual attack comes. And he's not prepared. And look, look, he fails to keep himself away from the opportunity to sin. He's sitting there in his palace with a spear in his hand. All of these things mount up against him and bam. Next thing he knows, the hand's cocked back and the spear's going flying across the room. Let me put it to you in a way that you can understand it. If I have a problem with alcohol, should I be walking into the bar to do witnessing? No. If you put two teenagers in a car on top of a hill at night when it's dark out and nobody else around, what do you expect to happen? Because they're, they're, they're too close to sin. You, you, you have to have these barriers in your life that you know this is going to cause me to fall. If you, don't, if you haven't sat down and said, all right, I need to make a list of the top 10 things that caused me to fall. You need to make that list, write it out, and you write them down. You need to stay away from people that cause you to fall. You need to stay away from things that cause you to fall, from places that cause you to fall. Anything that's going to cause you to sin, you need to stay away from it. Mark it down, write it down, tell somebody else about it so they can help you stay away from it. I don't care if you have to drive around town two extra miles out of your way to stop to, go, to not go by your favorite bar or whatever it is. You need to stay away from those things. When the temptation happens, when the spiritual attack happens, if you're standing on the doorstep of sin, you'll be just like Saul. Make sense? Yes. It's perfectly clear, isn't it? Yes. Keep away from the opportunity to sin. Stay away from the things. If isolation of yourself, if being alone causes you to sin, then you need to find people to hang out with. Get around people. If that's where your mind goes crazy, if that's where you sit home alone and you go, I, I just let my mind run wild, no, then don't do that. If watching TV causes you to sin, get rid of your TV. If your computer causes you to sin, unplug it, throw it out the door, go without it. You'll be fine. If there's something that's repeatedly causing you to sin, get rid of it. Don't put, your, don't, don't put yourself in that position because I can tell you something, you're not strong enough to handle it. You might think you are. You might think, I, I can do that. I can, I can do that. I, I, I can handle it. I'm saved. You know, God, no, you're not strong enough. You might be able to handle any one of three of those things, but all three of them come together. 
the temptation comes, the spiritual attack comes, and then you're, stand, you're standing on the doorstep of sin, you're going to fall every time. Anybody's going to fall every time. So we combat this, we do this by looking at ourselves. Am I prepared to handle the temptation? Am I, what am I going to do when I'm tempted? You see, if I know where the temptation's coming from, I can have my battle plan in place. If my, bat, if my temptation is the mind, then I can deal with that. If my temptation or your temptation is lust, then you can have that battle plan in place. If your temptation is feeling sorry for yourself, you can have that battle plan in place. If your temptation is thinking, I'm worthless and God doesn't want me, go back to the scriptures and see what, see what it says about you. And have those verses down. You have to develop a battle plan to combat this because it's going to be too late when all of these three things come together. It's imminent failure. Imminent failure. Saul, in verse 10, sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and he escaped that night. Saul doesn't realize the loss that he had. Not only did he lose the battle, he lost his best warrior. He lost his asset. He lost David. David was the one fighting for him. David was the one, was his leader. David was the one that was married to his daughter. David was the one that was fighting for him. Saul, or David would leave the palace and it would be 20 years before he returned. The next time David would step foot in this palace would be 20 years later as king. For the next 20 years, David's going to spend his life on the run. Saul's going to spend the next 20 years, I don't want to ruin the story for anybody, but trying to kill David. And he's going to have opportunities, David's going to have opportunities to kill Saul, but he's not going to respond on them. He's not going to respond to them. For 20 years, David is going to be living in the wilderness, doing battle. He's even going to join the enemy's side at one point of Israel. What do you think David thought? God, are you here? God, do you love me? God, why are you letting this happen? God, you said I would be king someday, and now I'm living in, I'm living in caves, trying, I'm, I'm one step away from death. I'm being hunted like an animal. God, are you there? If he did have those thoughts, I'm certain he didn't dwell on them very long. I'm certain his heart wasn't there very long. What Saul meant for evil, God was going to use for good. Because what God was doing in David's life is he was developing him to be a king. He was developing him to be a man after God's own heart. Sometimes to be developed by God, we have to go through these difficult circumstances and not understand why we're there. I don't doubt for a moment that David wondered why this was taking this, why it was happening this way. I admire him for not killing Saul because that would have been the easy way out. Instead, he chose to stay in the situation and allow God to work and if you read the Psalms, he gave God praise through the situation, through the circumstance. I got to believe that at David's life at this point would turn him pretty low. It was turning pretty low. Look at the next. Look at the next verse. Verse 11. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him. And to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you don't save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. When it says messengers, don't think that's like people to talk to him. 
They sent him to kill him. They sent warriors to his house, a sniper to his house. They're going to kill him. They want to take him out. Michael tells him, listen, if you don't save your life tonight, tomorrow it's going to be over. So she lets him, Michael let David down through a window, and he went and he fled and he escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover, goat's hair, for his head and covered it with cloth. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. Then Saul sent messengers back to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. Did you catch what took place? Saul sends messengers to David's house. David gets removed. He slips out of the palace. Where does he go? He goes home. He goes home. As he goes home, his wife comes alongside of him. And take notice of this, ladies or wives. I think this is important. Look what she says to him. If you do not save yourself tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. I like the way she said that. She gave him her opinion without nagging, without telling him you need to do this, you need to do that. She said, listen, David, I know my dad. If you don't, if you don't do something tonight, if you don't save yourself, you're going to die tomorrow. It was a real simple thing. He's smart enough and he heeds it. That's something for the men to learn. Sometimes the Lord will speak to us through our wives. Sometimes he's got something good to say. Well, most of the time he's got, all the time actually in my case. Good job, honey. Lord, every time my wife says something, I'm like, I don't want to hear that, but she's right. 99% of the time. But, but Michael here does it in a way where you could just a picture, you, just, you can picture this going the way that it's read here in the scripture. I can just picture, you know, David coming home. He's been just, her dad's tried to kill him. She's got a decision to make. Whose side is she on, right? Am I going to support dad or am I going to support my husband? She makes the decision, I'm going to support my husband. She says, listen, dad's going to kill you. You better do something about it. I don't see her freaking out. I don't see her telling him we got to make a plan. She lets him make the decision. She lets him decide. What are you going to do? I'm just giving you the information. I know my dad pretty well and, you know, he's already tried. You're in trouble tomorrow. As she's peeking out the window and she sees the people coming. I'm sure it's taken place like that. And David heeds her voice. She lets him down out of the window. Now look what she does. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair on his forehead and covered it with clothes. Don't miss the word for image. You know what that image word is? It means household idol. That's what it means. The, the translation here is really, really kind when they say image. Other places in the Bible is translated household idol. She takes a household idol, which she shouldn't have in the first place, right? She's supposed to be serving the living God, Yahweh, Jehovah God. But she takes this household idol. You know, like when you're a kid, you put the pillows in the bed to make mom and dad think you're in bed sleeping and you're really not. That, that's, what's, that's what's taking place. They come in, they look, and is David here? Oh, he's sick. Open the door. Oh, yeah, he's in there sick. Oh, yeah, there's somebody in the bed. And they go back to King Saul. And King Saul comes back and says, I don't care if he's sick or not. Bring his bed and bring him here together. I want to kill him. Go bring his bed and bring him here together. Get everything. Just bring him here. Verse 16, the messengers had come in. There was the image in the bed with the cover of goat's hair for his head. And Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? Michael or Michal answered Saul, he, is, he, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? You see, she lied to her dad. She didn't tell the truth. Jonathan told her dad the truth, why he was sticking up for Jonathan, for, for David. Jonathan said, because he hasn't done anything wrong. Michael says, because he threatened to kill me, basically. Poor David, right? Poor guy, coming out of the palace. He can't even get a good night's sleep in his own house. He's got to be let down out the wall at night. What would a guy like that do, do you think? You think, what, 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 I wonder what's going through his heart. I wonder what he's, what he's dealing with right now. 
You want, you, want to know what he, you want to know what he was thinking? Turn with me to Psalm 59. Psalm 59. Look at the title or the heading if you've got a Bible with headings in there. The chief musician set to Do Not Destroy, Mitchtum of David. When Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Saul writes a song. I mean, uh, David writes a song. This is the song that he sings. This is the song that he writes. Let's read it together. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For they look, or for look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. He declares himself, this isn't my fault, God. I haven't done anything wrong. They run and prepare themselves, though no fault of mine. Awake to help me. Awake, wake up, God, and behold, you therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Don't be merciful to any wicked transgressors. At evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears? It means they come around walking, they're arrogant. They're not sneaking, they're just arrogantly walking around. But you, O Lord, notice he notices, the, he recognizes the power of God. You, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. That's something we all need to learn. O you, I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. I'm not going to defend myself and let the Lord defend me. My God of mercy shall come to me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Do not slay them, lest my people forget. Scatter them by your power. Bring them down, O Lord, our shield. Verse 12. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and the lying which they speak, consume them in wrath. Consume them they may, that they may not be. Let them know that God rules in Jacob or Israel. To the ends of the earth, Selah, which means consider this. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog and they go around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. So do you get the picture? This is what David's heart is. Does he want revenge on his enemies? Yes, but he's going to let God do it. He's going to wait on the Lord. And look at the last two verses. While this is going on, while he's being thrown out of the palace, while he's being removed from his house, while he's a fugitive on the run now, he says this, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense my God of mercy. David remembers what God has done for him, not the situation that he's in. He recognizes God delivered him from Saul. Every time Saul threw a spear, God delivered him. Every time, somebody, every time Saul sent him to battle to get killed, God delivered him. He recognizes that God is his deliverer. He's not prideful thinking he's a great warrior. I'm the one, I can handle this myself. I've got it. He recognizes that God is doing the work through him. Now go back to 1 Samuel.
Verse 17, then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said, let me go, why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and he went to Samuel at Ramah and he told him all that Saul had done to him. And he said, Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, take note, David is in Naoth in Ramah. Word got back to Saul, David's on the run. Word gets back to him where he's at. Verse 20, then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So let me just, under, so you know what's taking place. Word gets back to Saul that, hey, this is where David's hiding out. He's with Samuel. They send the, he sends some messengers, some people to bring David back to Saul. The messengers get close to, essentially they're having a prayer meeting. They're praying, they're, they're prophesying, they're speaking forth the word of God. The messengers get close and they begin to prophesy. And they could, you can just imagine this. Here they are to kill David and to capture David. They try to get close and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin to prophesy. And they're, they're literally in a prayer meeting together. That's one way to think about it. So he sends the messengers to them. And verse 21, and when Saul was told, he sent other messengers so what happens is these messengers came and they couldn't take David. They, they showed up in this, in this prayer meeting and they had to go back empty-handed. Word gets back to Saul. Well, I'm going to send some more people. So he does. He sends in verse 21. He sends more people. And they prophesied likewise. They couldn't get David either. I think I'd give up at this point. But not Saul. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time. And they prophesied also. Now I just picture this comical. I just picture the prayer meeting going on, Samuel's overseeing it, everybody's prophesying, here comes the mean bad guys that are here to get David, and they all of a sudden sit down and start praying too. And they're leaving, you know, it's like, bless you brother, I'll see you next time, see you at the next meeting. And essentially, I, I, it doesn't say this, but I just picture them getting saved. I just picture them coming to be in the presence of God. You know, they're trying to, they come in with the wrong heart, their heart is changed, and they, they leave without taking David with them. How does that happen? It's God doing something and happens three times. Saul sends three groups of messengers, three groups of people to come kill David and they all come back to Saul and say, what happened? And he sent other messengers, verse 22, then he also, this is Saul, and he also went to Ramah and he came to the great well that is in Sechu. So he asked, he said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are in Naoth and Ramah. So Saul went there to Naoth and Ramah. The Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until it came to Naoth and Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Saul's coming to prophesy the Holy Spirit comes upon, or Saul's coming to attack David. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And did you catch it? It says he stripped off his clothes. <laughs> so if anybody says, we're going to have a 1 Samuel 19 prayer meeting, you just say, no, I'm not coming. <laughs> say, no, thank you, I'm not interested. You say, Rob, isn't that kind of weird that he stripped off his clothes? Usually when the Bible says that, it means he stripped off of his, his, his kingly robe. He would have stripped down to his undergarments, in a, in a sense saying, reducing himself before the Lord. That's really what it, what it more than likely means. Uh, that he stripped off, it, it wasn't about what he was wearing, it wasn't about who he was, he was in the presence of God. So Saul comes to try to kill him. 
And he himself gets overwhelmed or overtaken by the Holy Spirit. But we're going to see next time that David is going to flee again and be on the run because he will spend the next 20 years fleeing from King Saul. Just as a reminder, and I think I just want to hit this one section real, again, real quick, make sure you're prepared to handle temptation in your life. Make sure you're prepared to handle the spiritual attack in your life. And don't put yourself too close, in too close of a position with sin because you will not stand up when those things come together. We have to be prepared, and we have to guard ourselves against it. Sit down tonight and make a list of where you fall the most, and then make a battle plan on how you're going to overcome that. Otherwise, if you just go, if, you, if there's no plan in place, you're just, well, I'm just going to deal with it. You're not going to make it. There has to be a specific battle plan in place to handle these things. Prepare to handle the temptation, prepare to handle the attack, and stay away from the opportunity to sin. Run away, get away, keep away from the people, the places, and the things that cause that in your life. Don't let your mind go there. Don't think about it. Clean it up. Get away from it. Put it out of your life. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I'm just always amazed at how long ago this was written, and it wasn't written to us, but yet it's still being read in churches today, and it's still as applicable today as the day it was written. Father, we can learn from Saul. We can learn from David. We can learn from Jonathan how to be a friend. Jonathan stood up for his friend and courage, not afraid of what the outcome might be, but he stood there, both to his face and with his back turned. And Lord, I just ask us that you would help us, show us those areas in our life that we fall. Help us prepare to handle that temptation. We know it's coming because we read and there was war again. As we leave here tonight, Lord, there will be war again in our life. Will we be better prepared for it than we were when we came in? Lord, give us the victory, but we must do our part. Help us to prepare for the spiritual attack. And Lord, convict us with your convict us through the Holy Spirit every time we're getting close to those things that cause us to sin. And may we respond. Not playing in our minds or in our hands with those very things that will cause us to fall. Not dancing on the line, but running away. In Jesus' name, amen.